And I'm just incredibly excited, Jared, to have you on the podcast today. And for all the people that are watching across platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter spaces uh, and YouTube Live, I'm so thrilled to have you uh, for a variety of reasons that I was very honest with you about that, you know, in the uh, run up to this conversation, um, your experience on the agency side doing advertising and, and marketing for customers, many of whom are e-commerce brands. You know, in addition to you being an e-commerce founder is what really excites me. I think when we got introduced a while ago by uh, Patrick, uh, you know, we hit it off and, and, and you were very kind and giving. So I appreciate your help back then. And I appreciate your insights and opportunity to talk to you now. How are you doing? Oh, thank you. That was a really nice introduction, Vadim. I appreciate it. Uh, no, the honor is mine. Um, it has been it has been a lot of fun you know, spending time together the last year or so that we've known each other. And I'm just really excited to be here. So let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. So, I mean, where would you like to start? And I mean, I, I suck at introductions, but, you know, I think just going off of your resume on, on, on LinkedIn and other things, um, you know, a few things, you know, stand out. Really, the experience of you working um, with the uh, with not, no fixed address. And I think, you know, companies like Questrade and, 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 and some whiskey brands like Wisers and others have used no fixed address. And it kind of tells me that you have experienced both the... Uh, the kind of small brand, you know, small budget marketing all the way to potentially multi-million dollar budgets. Tell me, how did you come into the world of agency and marketing? How, how, what's the background? Uh, what, what's your background? And, 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 and how did you end up where you ended up today? Sure. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a uh, an interesting ride, right? <laughs> if I reflect back on it, it's been over 15 years, and I know that does sort of age me a little bit um, that I've been sort of in my uh, in my postgraduate um, uh, stage and you know in the workforce. Uh, I've been I've been all over the place to be honest. Like I started um, working with A and W Canada out in Vancouver, managing the promotions and customer acquisition agenda around you know things like coupons and store programs, new menu items. Very very highly collaborative. I was there for a few years, um, and then moved over into CPG marketing um, with PepsiCo Foods, where I was there for I think it was four, maybe even five years, and managed brands such as Tostitos and big partnerships. You know, and you mentioned. Um, you mentioned multi-million dollar budgets like that's where you know we would I, I led a brand that was worth almost a quarter billion dollars in canada right you know um and uh, and, and and dealt with uh, budgets that were you know close to eight eight digits just in the canadian side you know of, of marketing spend annually alone so yes definitely a lot of familiarity with the with the bigger brands and then it was about so about you know seven or eight years into my career i said you know what, i really wanted to to take what i've learned and and do things that were a little bit more you know, I'd say like smaller, right? And more local marketing. And so I pivoted over to Ace Bakery and a part of the Western Foods and George Weston organization where I got to do some really great things and take smaller brands and businesses and and help to really like, you know, inject them with uh, with some with some rapid growth and, and some of those best practices. Um, and then kind of made some made some pivots and went to the startup side a little bit more direct, you know, into performance and growth marketing, which I know we'll, we'll sort of speak uh, speak to a little bit more to today when I spent some time at, uh, at Second Closet now called Bolt Logistics. Um, and, and while I was there, you know, really got into, you know, the direct marketing, digital marketing, performance and, and acquisition marketing side of things in a really robust capacity. Um, and, and that's when, you know, conversation with my wife, you know, uh, back, I think in 2018, 2019, we sort of said like, hey, there's this kind of big gap in the marketplace in, in baby apparel, which, you know, we can talk about shortly, which is where Ryan Penn comes from. Um, and ever since then kind of like took off and went really like heavily focused into digital and then starting Ryan Penn sort of took me into no fixed address, uh, to lead and, and, and build their performance marketing arm. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, sort of, uh, uh, that, that chapter sort of wrapped up recently and, and now, um, now kind of focusing entirely on, on Ryan Penn and, uh, and, a, and a new agency that, uh, that I've started and co-founded with, uh, with a good friend of mine. Um, so, so yeah, it's been, it's been a diverse background and I, and I know that was a bit of a, bit of a rant, but it sort of shows you sort of the, the big and the small sort of, you know, playing hand in hand with each other to help sort of shape the foundation that I, you know, that I entered the, uh, into the world with today. Well, one thing that stands out to me, and, you know, please like comment on this because I am not at all involved in the agency world, but it seems very rare that a, uh, you know, person that's doing marketing or involved in any sort of service also has a business on the side where 
practically you can test some of these strategies. I mean, you know, you, you're thinking about the new marketing campaign or you're trying to adapt to, you know, how the world is changing. And so you have a real brand that you can mm -hmm. test some of these strategies and then, you know, potentially borrow best practices and apply it to the rest of your agency clients and vice versa, where, you know, by working with so many different companies and brands and, you know, you get to learn what's really working and, you know, hopefully apply that back uh, to, you know, to your own D2C. Um, Brent, talk to me about ex your experience um, managing both. I mean, was there ever a time where you felt overwhelmed or, you know, when you tried to prioritize one over another? I mean, just talk to me about that, you know, having, you know, hands and in, 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 into multiple sort of, you know, worlds and, and trying to juggle multiple balls at the same time. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you manage that, that, that aspect of your professional yeah. career? Yeah, you can see me kind of laughing a little bit because your your question around do you ever feel overwhelmed and the answer is of course every single day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then you throw two young children under five into the mix and it's just pure chaos. Um, so so yeah, you know uh, it it honestly has been a lot. Um, I've always been a person that loved being busy um, and uh, and would much rather be busy than than kind of sitting on my hands or or twiddling my thumbs, right? So you know, the kind of thriving in the chaos is something that I would say sort of represents, represents me. Um, but I'd say, you know, kind of coming back to your earlier point around, it's not super common to have your own business and, and maybe um, work full time at the same, at the same point in, in, in the same moment. You're absolutely right. I don't think that is super common. I think it's more common now than it ever has been um, kind of with the rise of, of e-commerce and the classic sort of like side hustles that people are, are, are always looking, you know, kind of at for, you know, maybe a few grand of passive income here and there. Um, but I will say uh, it is definitely not easy um, to, uh, to, to balance it all, especially in the early stages. Now, when I joined um, NFA though, <clears throat> I, I was well-established with Ryan Penn at that time. It was, it was a couple years old. Um, I don't want to say it was on autopilot, but it did not take nearly as much time um, from my day to to sustain and manage as as it did in the early uh, in the early early going. Once you kind of have you know your CRM, your your your, your e-commerce website, your fulfillment infrastructure all set up, um, your marketing engine, all that stuff kind of humming along. Honestly, there are some days I don't even think about or look at the business. Many days actually now that I don't. Um, but having it as as one of those things that um, you can draw from in terms of experience. And also, to your point, test um, test you know strategies and learnings, you know from whether it comes from some of your clients or you can bring it to your clients. It has made me, I would say, a very well-rounded, well-founded, and stronger marketer because you know what I'm able to bring to 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 my clients is 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 truly a story of authenticity around you know I've done this you know or I know that this doesn't work. And here's why, or I know this does work, and here's why. And here, let me screen share and show you, you know, how this is going to impact conversion rate, or what I, when I did this, what what happened. It's a very very personable conversation. Um, it's very real, um, and and it allows me to really be authentic and and transparent in in everything I bring to you know myself as a as a growth marketer, both as a as a you know a, a leader of clients, and also to to bring my own sort of business forward into. Um, into 2022 and 2023, right? So it's it's a bit of a blessing in the fact that it it brings it's it's very bisynchronous, right? It's a it's a very great two way um, uh, relationship, um, but the consequence of that is it takes a ton of time, mental energy, and it's a lot of sweat and, and equity. But when you're building and you love being you know being busy and and always learning and doing things, it's it's the most rewarding you know kind of setup you could possibly ask for. It's an unfair advantage, and I really, truly believe that. And uh, kind of in the process of exploring some of that myself as well with Paperstack and a few, few other companies that we, you know, that we work with a little bit more closer. But I would love to ask you, you know, since we are talking about Ryan Penn, and I, I know you made that transition from uh, PepsiCo and, uh, you know, to, into a smaller kind of like D2C world, what were some of the practices and I'm, I know I put you kind of on the spot, but I'd love I'd love to even talk to you about that, and maybe we can brainstorm together. But what are some of the practices that you know you find that you know that you've learned in a, you know working in PepsiCo that you can translate directly into Ryan Penn, which is your you know two year old or you know small um, uh, D2C brand? And what are some of the uh, some of the lessons, some of the processes that you want not to or or choose not to or think it would be a terrible idea? 
um, to, uh, to, to also translate it, you know, maybe for the lack of budget or, you know, for the lack of focus or maybe, you know, not so much awareness. Um, talk to me about that, right? Like applying big company marketing practices to a small brand, what translates and what doesn't? Great question. Um, to your point, right? Especially for a, a privately funded or unfunded startup, you know, in small business like, like Orion Penn, um, where you have really your own money or your growth hacking, you're bootstrapping, right? You're literally, you know, maybe grasping at straws to, uh, to build momentum compared to where you were maybe at a big brand like PepsiCo when you have a five to $10 million annual marketing budget, um, exceptionally different situations. But the fundamentals um, are really what I would say, you know, you, you lean on, right? Marketing fundamentals. What's your business problem to solve and what's your marketing problem to solve, right? When you're running a business or a brand that has been around for 50 to 100 or, or 100 years, generally, you know, you're going to have high awareness, right? So you're not necessarily trying to raise awareness. You might be trying to increase, you know, your frequency or maybe grow it a little bit. But like more than anything, you're probably looking more at your, your, uh, your trial, your adoption, maybe your average cart value, the number of units in a basket, so to speak. But for Ryan Penn, you know, the enemy is absolutely trial, first time trial, right? When you think about the business problem to solve, you want to get people sure to understand and, and, and who you are. But you're, you're, the thing that's going to allow you to eat or keep you alive is, is that purchase, that adoption, that the trial of, of the brand. So when you think about like really distilling it down to like the, and answering the question for yourself of what are you solving for, you know, from a marketing strategy perspective, you know, when in, in, a, in the DTC space, you're generally looking for conversion and trial more than anything. If maybe if you're, 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 you're well-funded, you can kind of go a little bit more full funnel and focus a little bit more on the upper side of it first. But for the most part, when you're trying to, you know, sustain a business, you know, and your product is your, is your brand and the brand is the product you need to get, you need to get that consumption. Right. And, and so when you can really distill it down into like, what specifically are you solving for? It allows you sort of say, okay, here's my North Star. My North Star is trial. What are all the different sort of things and the fundamentals around in kind of building that brand house, right? If you know at the top what you're trying to accomplish, what are those big rocks or those, you know, those big bets that you're going to um, kind of try different things that you're going to, like the different tactics to, to help you get there. So um, I think that is probably the fundamental most like, it, it's, it's, it's quite simple, right? In terms of saying like, what are you solving for? But I don't want to, I don't want to, the, the simplicity yet the, power of that to be lost because it's it's you know being an entrepreneur is full of te temptations all over the place when you literally are your own boss you're your own person the success or the failure of your brand or your business relies solely on your shoulders the world is your oyster and there are distractions literally everywhere right um people that want to give you their ideas consumers that have you know their two cents uh, mentors or or colleagues friends family that will have you know ideas or opinions um it's a it's it's a wonderful thing to write to have input and, and to obviously have a great network that that will share that with you but if you it's very easy to get distracted and off and off base so if you know specifically what you're trying to solve for it'll allow you to make more informed decisions and kind of weed out the noise you know so i'd say like that specifically and the and the true fundamentals of, of decision making are, are are very important from um from what i've taken away from that and then on the, on the on quickly on the flip side if i may sorry i know you want to jump yeah, in of there when you're in a big business where you have, you know, a lot of awareness and well-oiled machine, your well-oiled machine, or your, you know, um, your your well-established brand, it's very easy to um, to get stuck in in process and overlapping, you know, previous previous year or previous month or previous week activity. Um, so you're really kind of like paving your own way, and um, it's very important to like not necessarily look at the same tactics that that can grow a, a brand that has 45% awareness you know, or maybe 98% household penetration, right? You know, um, like a new, let's say, you know, uh, brand of milk may have, um, as an example, uh, or newer brand or an established brand, so to speak. Um, so not necessarily being dragged down by the things that that you you would know sort of as your tried and true um, tactics and strategies in a more established construct, but literally trying to, you know, scrape something together and, and build from the ground up is, is, uh, is very much the antithesis of, you know, working on an established brand. So, um, so yeah, it really comes down to discipline, really found strategic, you know, decision-making and, and knowing, you know, truly what you're, what you're solving for. And so if I may ask in the first few years of Ryan Penn, obviously resources are quite constrained and you did mention the importance of discipline. And I completely agree with you on that. I feel like entrepreneurs, 
if not have ADHD, they learn how to have that because over the years, you're just getting so much opportunity and so many different, uh, uh, you know, things you could be doing with your time and, and, and your skill set. And I, you know, I, I was often jealous of just, you know, professionals that, you know, were really good at one thing, like they're a doctor, they're a lawyer, and they decided to start a company. Chances are they will be doing, you know, law or, or help people through technology, you know, to, to, to take care of their health better. Um, but, you know, people like us that don't have a concrete background, and I have a little bit in finance, but, you know, for the most part, you know, technology is the medium for delivering value. There's so much value you can deliver to so many different types of customers that it becomes quite uh, um, uh, quite tempting to explore all of it. So I want to ask about the importance of discipline, maybe specifically, what were some of the things that you've uh, doubled down on or prioritized, uh, say in the first two years in, in, in Ryan Penn, in terms of marketing? How did you tell the world about the new product? Were you doing pre-sales before you even launched? Have you experimented with any sort of you know, uh, communities or groups of, you know, parents and kids? Um, mm -hmm. Was it all around, you know, uh, paid advertising? Was it a little bit more about word of mouth? What were the channels that worked really well for you in the first two years? Um, the answer is that it, it, there were a lot of those, <clears throat> a lot of those different things that that were, were tried. <clears throat> to be honest, we didn't really do any kind of pre-sale activity just to try to maybe cross some of the things off the list that, uh, that you were curious about. Um, Knowing what I know now, I would would have loved to have, <laughs> if that makes sense. I think it's it's one of those things that has become popularized through you know the Kickstarters and Indiegogos of the world, and a lot of those strategies are are being brought into I think established D2C brands as they like do new new launches, which which we're definitely thinking about for our fall um, collection. Um, but honestly, you know, a lot of it was uh, you know I, coming back to what I said before, we knew the enemy was trial. Right. We were very confident in our product line so much so that we knew. And, and I can talk maybe a little bit more about like, why did we start it and where did the idea come from? And it's really, you know, about how buttery, soft and comfortable um, these, these clothes are and how well made they are for, you know, the precious little 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 babes. Right. And in, in, uh, in, in a new parent's life. Um, and so we knew the second that someone like touched the product, maybe compared it to a cheaper or, or like internationally made alternative, because we are a made in Canada product. Um, this, the quality would more or less speak for itself. So we knew that our, and I, I like to call it this way, our enemy was trial. It still is, right? We're still only a two and a half, three-year-old business. Um, most people have never heard of us before. Sure, we've got like a, you know, a very, loyal, very loyal contingent who has learned about us that we've nurtured and, and, and built community around over the last few years. And we've got, you know, I think we've uh, five to 10,000 hours that we've done now. Um, that and and our repeat rate is super high because we knew that sort of our bet was if people tried us and, and discovered Ryan Penn they would fall in love and be a be a, a loyalist forever, right? And and so we did a lot of different things to try to get our name out there. We went to talk to retailers, um, you know, just to get not only their feedback on the product but get them to maybe even consider bringing it into their stores and and that and that was a, a good thing to do. We brought them to local events and we, we you know we set up tables and had people come touch, feel, try you know, try the product and, and discover it that way. Um, we definitely did the Facebook group thing, right? Trying to get a little bit more of a community base there. I'd say we, there's still a lot more opportunity for us to leverage that further, but we have, a, you know, we have a really good sort of private group of, of loyal fans that we go to for feedback, helping us name the products, like helping to spread the word about, about launches, um, give them, you know, VIP discounts for being a part of that, so on and so forth. Um, using influencers as well to try to get more content, but then also leverage the scale of a very engaged audience in, you know, the, in like, you know, the, the newer mom demographic, which was kind of the, the sweet spot for us. Um, and then of course, paid marketing. Right. You no, know, and we we had the benefit of launching and using, um, you know, Meta or Facebook and Instagram um, well before I, iOS 14 was ever a thing. Right. Where its efficiency was uh, was next uh, next level. And, and obviously that's we're in a very, very different world now in terms of, you know, PPC efficiency. But um, getting getting people to come to the site, learn about what we had to offer. Um, bringing them into our CRM and nurturing them through a very, very extensive and, and uh, um, very well, well thought through, if I do say so myself, um, kind of like, you know, you know, welcome onboarding to the brand and understand sort of who we are and, and what we do and video content and walkthroughs of the products, all that stuff. Um, that was really obviously the one that, that helped us like scale the fastest through paid. Um, but, uh, but it's not like we're working with, you know, 10, 20, $30,000 a month or a day, you know, or a week kind of budgets. Like it's a very, very slow slow and steady drip. 
Um, but my belief is that it's a sum of all those parts. To be honest, Vadim, it's not that like there was one thing that sort of helped take uh, you know help the business take off. There are there are a few businesses that are honestly like you know in my in my mind or a few businesses or brands like truly built off of like one channel or like a lucky break. Um, you can pay your way into you know really really kind of well-regarded high influence influencer kind of relationship and and hope that that helps you take off. And I know a lot of brands do that or or, or frankly like do end up making it that way. Um, but for us, we didn't really want to go that, that route. We wanted to kind of be a little bit more grassroots, you know, kind of local favorite sort of built, um, uh, kind of like, you know, the tastemaker of the, of the kind of, you know, um, of the Canadian market type of thing. And, uh, and let that, uh, let that sort of take off, you know, a little bit more, a little more slow and steady, but for all the right kind of transparent and authentic, uh, authentic reasons. So for me, again, it's really kind of the sum of all, all of the things, both like real world activations, like getting into, like I said, retailers and like literally just like going onto the street and talking to people um, and going to local events, but then also leveraging the power of digital to tell your story. So a little bit of everything I think is what helps to kind of create that really, really strong, you know, kind of 360 experience. You're, you're on mute, by the way, <laughs> just still on mute. <laughs> Rookie mistake. I should have learned by now. I um I, I do find that it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a common practice between um, a lot of brands that we've interviewed on the on the podcast. First and foremost, you know Mark and Hannah from Sleepout. They've done a tr terrific job in terms of pre-sales, not just once but twice. Now that they're launching a new product um, uh, for for their you know sleep brand, uh, they've done it tremendously well. And I'm, I'll be more than happy to connect you if you're looking for that insight on how to do that for your next product launch in fall. Um, but the other thing is these small scale activations and you know, really for some it's farmer mark, farmers markets and for mm -hmm. others it's you know, just you know, handing out samples of you know, shampoo or beard or any beard oil or you know, anything like that, uh, food just on the street corner and really getting people's uh, um, uh, you know, perspective. We had a, a, a pet care brand uh, last time on the show and founders would go to a dog park and hand out like dog treats and, and food to, to to people there in exchange for an email completely free of charge. And yeah. I, I and I feel like that that process of bootstrapping awareness, you know, kickstarting that feedback loop is some is is a stage in every business that should not have, you know, should not be overlooked. Uh, from my understanding, you can't just create a landing page and dump a bunch of ads and 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 hope and expect that something will happen. There's a lot more discovery that that needs to go into it. Uh, speaking of, you know, and I, Jared, I just have too many questions and not enough time. Um, speaking of advertising, you've experimented with advertising recently. Is there a prerequisite for when is the right time for a brand to start spending money on paid advertising? How do you know that your company is ready to, to do something like that? It's such a tough one to answer with a blanket response. Um, I don't ever really think it's too early to try. I think the question is sort of like, do you know what you're testing for? Do you know what you know your your pre and post click experience is is going to look like? And do you feel confident enough that you know the KPI that you're setting out for that from from a paid advertising perspective is 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 clear? And are you ready for it? Um, you know, you see a lot of brands, you know, kind of do exactly what you mentioned, Vadim, right? Like spin up a landing page with maybe a very short story about what they're doing, and you know, a coming soon or a sign up for you know type of uh, type of value exchange, right? Um, that's a very common thing, particularly in the SaaS world to do, um, for good reason, because, you know, digital products generally, um, and you can kind of, you know, kind of nurture and educate people a little bit more that way. I think that that methodology is totally fine. And, and, and you know, as long as you kind of know sort of what you're offering and kind of what you want to get out of it, no, no issue at all in the D2C space. Um, let's say you're testing for, um, Always, you know, at the at the most simple level, like if you're if you're an established brand or you're establishing a brand and you have some creative um, variants or or hypotheses that you'd like to test, you can do that at a very low kind of like dollar per ad unit or ad set per day kind of thing, right? So you don't need to you don't need to have five ten k a month, for example, to to start advertising. If you have a few things you want to control for and test for. You can do that at any given time. You just have to know how to set up those campaigns properly and like isolate the variables that you wish you wish to isolate. So I personally don't think it's ever too early to, to, to start. Is it too early to scale? Um, you know, do you want to scale something really, really quickly? I would say no to that, right? But getting your feet wet and familiar with, you know, the platforms themselves, what what your brand does and doesn't do, who your audience is, right? Like is is super critical. 
I know at, at NFA, we helped, you know, essentially birth a, a beauty brand. Um, and, and one of the strategies that we had for this particular client was, um, to get out there and, and try to like understand your audience and some of the creative best practices that your audience was going to respond to quicker than others. Right. Cause you know, as a skincare, as a beauty brand, like you've got a very, very, very wide, you know, potential, you know, town, total addressable market. Right. But in terms of your, 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 your most like ready to buy or most interested space, is it people that have a predisposition, you know, to online shopping and maybe, you know, hair care products? Is it maybe moisturizer products? Is it people that, you know, might sort of just be of a specific type of lifestyle? They might care for like different kinds of like cars or, or what, you know, whatever, like there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of, you know, go at it and try to like, you know, um, build who, who your, who your audience is. And I'd much rather sort of say like, come up with a couple ads that, you know, represent your brand, you know, well enough that it's above the good enough line. You'll hear me say that a lot if you kind of talk, you talk shop um, and then, you know, have that structured sort of audience sort of segmentation sort of set up so that you can like test for that, even if it's a dollar or two a day kind of thing, just to get a sense of like, who's reacting to it better, who's more interested in what you have to say so that when you're ready to scale, you know more about who you need to talk to and how you scale it than, than not. So I would say, you know, and I know that's a bit of a rant and I apologize on that. I got a little bit carried away more than anything. I don't think it's ever too early to start with paid marketing. I just would say like, you have to be very disciplined about what you're testing for and how, how you, you know, sort of build your budgets accordingly, because you don't have to go at it with, you know, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars a day or a week to be able to get any meaningful insight that will help you down the line. I just wouldn't scale quickly, you know, especially until you have like a really strong foundation of, you know, let's say, especially in the DTC world, like a post-click, you know, high converting website. Right. And like, a, a, you know, a lead capture kind of ecosystem to ultimately get people in, nurture them and convert them. Yeah. So, and I mean, one of the things that I wrote down just now is, you know, a few dollars. And I think that's really, you know, it's not something that we're hearing too often. I mean, usually budgets are in, in thousands of dollars to tens of thousands of dollars, but it's really, um, it's really great takeaway. I mean, you could potentially set aside, you know, 10, $20 a week or $50 a week and, you know, run it for four weeks. You don't have to commit, you know, unlike other mediums where minimum purchase is required. And I'm talking about old school media, you know, the billboards, the uh, TV and everything like that. Not sure about the podcast. I, I do think there is a mini minimum there as well, uh, just to kind of commit in terms of number of shows. Uh, you know, with paid advertising like Google or Facebook, you could run a few ads, test for very specific uh, uh, variables or try to convert people and, and, uh, and, and test out your brands and iterate. So I like, I like that, you know, lean mindset when it comes to advertising. Um, tell me, Jared, when it comes to having a premium product, um, and I, I do mean that because your product isn't cheap. It's not something you're trying to compete on. Yeah. Uh, your product is a premium quality product. And so it's priced at a premium as well. How's the current economic condition situation what's going on right now in the market has affected you if at all have you seen any decline in interest was it actually you know uh, a positive for you uh, and i'm just curious you know for other people that are listening and maybe they are in that you know premium category and they're selling a different product like a skincare product or you know something else what they what should they be doing or thinking about when it comes to managing a premium product in the quote-unquote recession yeah i mean the the recession is is one thing to, to answer the earlier part of your question like have i have we seen like a major slowdown as a result of it no to be honest you know we're we also chose to be in um in a in a category where people kind of need to put clothes on their babies right it's kind of like you know they don't kind of choose you know are we going to dress our baby today or not <laughs> right um but of course there's a lot of choice right they can they can go to carter's joe fresh you know what have you and and spend five six walmart you know great products there five six seven eight nine dollars for a similar type of product that we sell for 48 right um is it going to last as long no is it going to be as nice and and and, and high quality and premium and, and sustainably made and ethically made no um but uh but we don't see people just like leaving the franchise altogether we don't see disengagement in fact honestly like it's been pretty steady so we're kind of in more of i think a, a category that um that uh that, that people who decide to have babies are always going to want to kind of you know for those especially that, that who can afford it are going to still kind of participate um that's not definitely the case for every business you know 
I've actually sort of heard people talk about this as kind of like the the vibe session, right? Because it's not like, you know, the 2008 where literally everything's kind of crashing down and people have, you know, lost their houses and like, you know, seen their portfolios chopped by 80, 90%. Um, the number that kind of seems to be pr fairly prevalent, and I was just talking with my wife about this yesterday, is, is 20%. Businesses are down 20%, 20% of, of uh of workforces or businesses are, are, are kind of laying off people in that at that rate or um you know people see themselves sort of like maybe increasing their their discounting to their to their clients or their consumers by about 20 percent. it kind of feels like the vibe is is sort of like a little bit of a lull but it's not like it's like a total crash so i think certain categories are more i think predisposed to 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 some than others you know, categories that are less sort of in the sort of everyday necessity and are a little bit more of a nice to have or a luxury kind of space, you know, might be might be more affected by it than than what we're personally seeing. And, and some of the clients that that we have haven't seen a, a single drip, you know, of of, uh, of of their business kind of, you know, go away. And some of it have obviously, you know, sort of seen themselves maybe lean in a little bit more to discounting to, you know, to uh, to make sure they're still moving product kind of like footwear, for example, is, you know, as a brand that I've got some exposure to um or business or category rather um and and so uh personally we're not really seeing a, a major a major concern with it but i think it kind of depends on how far you are from necessity the the other kind of part of your your question is um what are some of the important things to to do you know to kind of sell premium products and kind of survive yeah. in the premium space i would say for those that may be a little bit more adversely, you know, impacted by by the you know the recession or vibe session, whatever if you like that term or not, um, or if you're just sort of like thinking about what are some of the fundamentals that help you sell more premium products every day, which is kind of how I'm going to answer that answer that question. It's really about understanding that very, 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 very few times people are going to come to your site the first time and buy. So what do you what do you do if you know that that's like a truth no matter what? Maybe if, if you're selling a bit more of an impulse product, maybe under the 20 to $40 kind of, you know, threshold, you'll probably have a better conversion rate on your first, uh, on your first time, um, on your, on your first, uh, your first visits, um, first visitors. But for a product like us where, you know, our cheapest product is $44, right? You know, our, our most expensive is just under a hundred. Um, we sort of always knew that like I said before, trial is the enemy, or at least getting to understand sort of like what we're about and why why they should care about spending a little bit more on quality. For us, it was always about storytelling, right? So the infrastructure around capturing a lead, putting them through an automation or a sequence of, of like an onboarding or welcome flow, different people kind of call them different things are essentially the same, same idea. Um, and like covering off things like social proof, product education, um, uh, you know, maybe even like hitting them with a discount or two, et cetera. You definitely want to have a value exchange to have a high opt-in rate, you know, for a pop-up or, or, or an, an opt-in landing page type of thing. Bringing people in and knowing that it might take them 14, you know, to, to maybe 30 days to convert the first time. I've seen a lot of customers, honestly, come back 20 plus times before they make their, their first purchase. And that doesn't surprise me at all because, um, you know, when you think about the way that people maybe shop, especially when they're introduced to a brand, they might talk to their friends or go to the internet and look up, you know, is this a real company? What do people have to say? What are their positive, their negative experiences? The same way, you know, if you're going to an all-inclusive resort, you're going to read every positive and negative review you possibly can on Google or, you know, whatever it is. Um, people are doing that with, you know, with their online purchases as well. I think clients and, and clients, customers and consumers are more aware than ever that there's a lot of fakers out in the in the digital commerce world, right? A lot of people, and they become very skeptical because of the era of drop shipping, which uh, you know for me makes me a very you know um, skeptical person of anything I see that looks maybe you know even ten percent fake or like you know fabricated a little bit on online with you know really poor poor you know ads or copy or or, or, or post click experience. Consumers are smarter than they were before. Right. So they do their homework. And, and that's why having, you know, a really strong onboarding journey and like a well, a wealth, like a well-rounded foundation for like a, a Google My Business profile with appropriate reviews, you know, your own sort of review engine on your site, um, bit like, like socially sourced content, you know, that's maybe more organically, you know, appearing on, on, on like groups like Facebook, where they're talking about your type of product or on YouTube, when they're kind of like reviewing it, wanting to maybe like post their own own type of stuff. And then, you know, kind of syndicating across um, different blogs and so on and so forth. The more real you can become and the more sort of like out there you are and the more positive, you know, kind of affinity that you have in, in the, uh, 
in the community, like the or the ecosystem at large for your category, the better. So we, we kind of brace ourselves for knowing it's a it's a longer sales cycle than than kind of just an impulse purchase that that you might you know sort of like be trying to sell in you know category like a like a keychain or like a you know a, a funny saying on a t-shirt or a mug kind of thing. Like we know that we're we're a high investment decision, and so we've really built our our prospecting our retargeting you know like uh, um, methodology from a PPC perspective around that our landing pages and, and how we kind of build our collecting our collection pages and frankly, all the different emails and text messages that people will get from us to help them, to help them like get more familiar with our, our business, give them more reason to be comfortable and then more reason to buy. I don't think I would have the patience to watch 20 times somebody, same person visiting my landing page before <laughs> signing up for a service or, or buying a product. I would be tearing my hair out and saying, what am I doing wrong? There must be a broken buy button somewhere. I just can't find it. Otherwise, why would they come back? Well, um, I think, I, but like, just to unpack that for a second, right? Like, that's, I think, one of the things that there, there are great tools out there that will help you kind of syndicate those insights. You know, yes, Google Analytics, whether it's GA4 or UA is, is totally helpful. But then you've got other behavioral analytics tools and you can kind of kind of piece your own together with, you know, the likes of, 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 of Zapier and then, you know, Amplitude and, and Supermetrics and all, all that stuff, whatever. There's tons of them. You can get a better understanding of what your path to purchase is with, you know, kind of off the shelf tools. And once you understand kind of what that typical path to purchase is, then you can kind of build like a bit of a marketing journey and a user journey for them so that, you know, kind of like why it's taking someone or how to get them, you know, through those 14 or 15 or 20 some odd visits or touch points with your brand to ultimately get them to that conversion. And it may sound like it's, you know, a lot of work, Vadim, and, and it kind of is at the beginning. But once you set that up, a lot of it happens while you sleep, right? I think we have a 12, a 12 step onboarding journey right? From like a, a workflow that I think it's over three or four weeks as an example, right? And so after someone, you know, gives us their email for the first time, yes, they'll get a 15% off coupon code, but they may, you know, need to see another 10 emails from us over three weeks, some of which, you know, they'll either maybe read and, and, and like, you know, just go away or some of they might sort of read and click into and watch whatever content it is, whether it's a video or, you know, a product highlight, uh, a review, you know, or, or two or five. Um, those all are important visits. They're all kind of part of that. In my mind, I kind of think of it as like they're validating, you know, your brand in their consideration set and you're selling it kind of like on autopilot. You know what I mean? So spending that in, that, that investment and that time up front to have your automations um, set up is a worthwhile investment and you can scale it very easily, you know, once it's once it's set up. But, you know, it's it does sound like, you know, a long time to kind of like get that that conversion. And, and it often is. But it's for all the right reasons. And once you kind of like have it set up once, you don't have to really maintain it, you know, so it, or you can, but like you don't have to, right? It's, it's, uh, it kind of works for you while you're sleeping, which is, which is the, the, the beauty of digital marketing. It's nice. It's nice. Uh, Jared, do we have a hard stop at 145 or can we go over by five, 10 minutes? Yeah, we, can your... go over. we can go over. Amazing. I, uh, I would be kicking myself if I, you know, now transitioning more into a tactical conversations around marketing and what's working and what's not working. You know, specifically in the in the um, you know performance marketing space, um, what's working, Jared? You know, what you know, would love to ask you. Uh, you know, say I'm my uh, you know I run a you know a business and you know we make you know two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. You know, we kind of got our name out there. We made some sales. You know, God knows, maybe we did some activations. Maybe we uh, experimented with marketing. You know, we have a pretty good. Um, you know, email uh, lists of people that were coming back and, you know, interested in staying in touch. How do I take this company to the next level? How do I reach a million dollars in sales? You know, from your perspective and your experience working with clients of those types of sizes, you know, what should this company, this, hy this hypothetical company, you know, invest in or pay attention to when it comes to growing revenue? Um, great question. I don't think there's one like kind of silver bullet answer, but I think it is a combination of a few tried and true things. Um, having your own CRM, you know, from from a DTC perspective, like in love with Clavio, you will never convince me to use another tool um, for many, many reasons, but having a well-oiled machine around both like automations, like I mentioned with like different flows, but then also with campaigns is critical and having the right segmentation set up so that you get your, your engaged, your unengaged, your, um, your your VIPs, you know, your winbacks, all of those things, your anniversary, your purchase anniversaries, having that is like the lifeblood of any D2C business. And anybody that's not leveraging 
a, like a CRM tool like like that is um, is leaving money on the table. Um, and so activating that, you know, in in whatever way makes most the most sense for your business is critical. Um, running flash sales, absolutely. You know, uh, running upsells, downsells, you know, cross sells, whatever, whatever makes sense for your business. Anniversaries, like you know, building that, building that, like using that engine, which like costs you very very little, you know, to get back in front of your your customer with a um, a, a, a an exclusive brand moment for your for your D 2 C brand is is critical right when you think about it um the if if you let's say have a cost per click of or a cpm let's say of like 25 you know and uh and you kind of distill that down to like what does it cost for me to get from paid advertising perspective in front my message in front of somebody and then you look at that what that looks like for email marketing and then what like the cost per click is or the cost per engagement let's let's say it's it's insane you know on what that what that delta is you should always leverage your own channels as much as possible um, and part of what you also want to make sure you're doing there is like, is driving repeat purchases. Do you have a loyalty program? Are you getting the most out of them? Are you, are you running pre and post purchase ups and, and uh, purchase upsells? Um, if your business is kind of, you know, a good, a good fit for that, for example, you know, we've recently on Ryan Penn, like added in, you know, our, our baby blanket as an upsell, which everyone can, can buy, right. It's not like it's either a footy or, 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 you know, a sleep sack, which might be in the range for certain you know, age children or not, any anybody can really kind of like use a blanket, right? So that's something that is kind of being served after the purchase for everybody. And we've been able to to see our cart value go up by about 20%, you know, for those that that are, are doing it. So like adding in, you know, kind of reasons to buy more is a really important thing. Bringing your loyal your loyalist back is critical as well. Um, yes, of course, you really want to have, you know, your, your paid advertising working and you can scale that, um, um, as, as best as as best as you can, I think in, in this day and age, it's it's very very challenging, of course. Um, but understanding what is and isn't working within your 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 kind of your paid ads infrastructure is, is critical. For example, um, we've seen our conversion rate on Facebook decline significantly, um, but we've seen it on on Instagram. And Instagram maintain you know a lot of strength. So we've been funneling more of our dollars into Instagram than we have on Facebook. We still you know use Facebook for discovery and for retargeting because you want to kind of be wherever ever, you know, your, your interested consumers are, but we've also kind of been putting more money into, into Google, right. Which I call sort of demand servicing, right. Instead of demand generation, which is a little bit more that you get with like, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, because people are searching for your category or they're looking for products, you know, especially if you have a well, a well-built campaign, they're looking for what you're selling. And those folks are going to convert, I don't know, five to 10 times higher. You know, I think, I think our conversion rate is honestly like a, a 10 times uh, 10 times multiplier on Google than it is, you know, um, on, on demand gen um, platforms um, and the visual platforms like Instagram and, 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 and Facebook and, and, and TikTok. Um, but there's so many, there's so many things that you kind of need to do to, to understand and like fine tune the different, you know, the acquisition and conversion engine of your business to help you, to help you kind of get to that next level. And we haven't even talked about conversion rate optimization, right? You know, with all the traffic that you're winning, how do you get more of them? more more of it to uh, to to convert um there's so many things we can continue talking about but like you know just to kind of round it out a, a high power a high powered crm um a focus on repeat purchases um optimizing your 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 media spend against what is and isn't converting like i mentioned before also knowing your path to purchase and how you kind of like or you know orient yourself around that um if i set up sales i'm not sure if i did <laughs> so i'll say it again um, but, uh, and then sort of like smartly scaling, you know, what is, uh, what is working, you know, most of all, but, but for me, I think one of the biggest traps can be, you know, just sort of like doubling your ad spend and, you know, just expecting it to double sales. There's always a lot of diminishing returns. You see it with, with, with every client that I've ever worked on. So knowing that future growth is not going to come the same way that previous growth de does is, is critical. And that will help you, that will help you make kind of the right decision based on sort of, you know, the data and the analytics and, and kind of the, the lifeblood and the trend of your business. You maybe already answered that question. Maybe maybe you didn't, but you know you said <clears throat> uh, something about Google performing really well for you because of just how well it converts. Um, it is a very dumb rookie question. Why not take your entire budget and put that in Google? Um, if you did that, you're only going to be relying on on folks who are already kind of like looking for your products. Um, that's one, and and I would say like there's definitely you know a point 
across any business that I bought media, I managed media for, where you see significant diminishing returns. When there's no more search volume for something, when you've got like up to 80, 90% impression share, right? And maybe you're not getting, you know, you're not able to kind of like get your, your conversion up higher, um, your click through rather, um, you're just throwing good money after bad, right? So there's a bit of a cap there. Um, and my belief is that you want to kind of have both. You want to have like demand generation and demand servicing. You want to talk to the people that are already looking or in the category, the mindset for it. And of course, they're going to be lower funnel. They're going to be, you know, have a higher conversion rate. Um, but generally, those are also way more um, expensive clicks, right? So it's harder to bring traffic, you know, profitably to you if you're like, especially getting past that, that point of where, you know, the economics really sort of inverse. Um and, and you, you can't really raise awareness the same way that you can about, about your brand in non-visual mediums or unless you kind of go up or funnel to, to demand generation. Um, and, and running retargeting is quite very different, you know, off of, uh, off of Google than it is um, um, on Meta and other kind of, you know, demand gen platforms. So you can definitely spend a lot more money on Google and build a good business. And if you have a category where it's not super competitive and you have relatively cost-effective CPCs, you're gonna be you're gonna be able to build like a really you know nice little well-oiled machine there. But to scale, you need to to take your brand a little bit more into the masses and tell people about it that may not necessarily be looking for it, but might already kind of be in the category or soon to enter the category. Um, and so if you you know are priming them a little bit by like getting your brand in front of them, you know maybe they'll think of you or see you know your ad a little bit later on um, when uh, when they're already you know kind of like ready to buy or into it. Um, and, uh, and be more apt to kind of like take that sort of like that, that full funnel sort of, you know, 360 approach. Um, we had just a question come in and um, I, I, I wanted to make sure we address that before we move on to talk about the, you know, the new agency that you started with the, one of your old foes um, <laughs> uh, and your friends. Uh, I, I love the name, by the way. I, I, I need to know how that name came, came, to, uh, came to be. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've got my, uh, my, uh, my theories, but uh, if you would be so kind to... Uh, to maybe confirm or deny, but a, a quick question from the audience, and it's really it's really something that I I, I think we already talked about, but maybe you can uh, maybe you can reiterate one one more time. What strategy would you suggest uh, from a marketing perspective? I assume to launch completely new product, so existing brand, a new product. Um, what channels would you go with? And uh, maybe I can add on top of that. You know, obviously it depends on the size of a brand and you know the, the type of a product, but uh, you know how do you how do you sort of uh, how do you sort of get the new product out there uh, in a way that doesn't cannibalize your 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 existing sales? Oh, this is a big one, guys. <laughs> I appreciate the question, but that's uh, you know it's a bit of a it's a bit of a black box, right? Or at least a bit of a chasm um, that you, we could fall into. Um, I would say, uh, of course, the safe answer is that it, it depends. Um, but I would probably, I would probably kind of like think about it in the context of how would I, let's say, launch a new product at, at Ryan Penn. Maybe that's the easiest way for me to answer yeah. that. If you say you're an established, established brand, new product. Um, I would honestly go back even before like think like launching the product and say, how did you make that decision to launch that product? Right. Um, the first time that you do it, or at least that we did it at Ryan Penn, it was, it was like, Honestly, like trying to use a lot of publicly available data and information and a little bit of like creative, you know, um, uh, discerning of data to try to to get to what we thought our launch portfolio should be. And for example, some of those were like, honestly, like looking at what what parts of, let's say, the baby category were, were brands buying ads in. Right. And they were they buying it for blankets? Were they buying it for crib sheets, sleep sacks, footies, PJs, et cetera? And we decided through all that and, and, and looking at the competitive size up of where it seemed like the volume of reviews, honestly, on competitive sites were coming from, it was against sleep sacks and footies. So we said, we're going to start there. Um, that was like how we started to launch the, the first two items that, uh, that we, that we released. Let's lead up into what we're planning to do now, which, you know, as a, if, if you're, if you're familiar with Ryan Penn or maybe you know people that are having a baby, so on and so forth, here's a here's a hot tip that no one else knows about. We're launching what's called rompers, right? So footless, you know, long sleeve and, and long pant um, uh, baby clothing, um, which is which is really, really helpful for those that, let's say, you know, don't want to have, you know, their, their, their feet exposed or it's a little bit more akin to like, let's say, wearing every day instead of just for sleep time. Um, that was honestly a product that people were almost every day. DMing us on Instagram, sending us emails, you know, so on and so forth, saying, 
why don't you guys have this? Will you launch this? Please, please, please. <laughs> right. And so we kind of like kept an ear to the ground and understood that this is what our loyalists were looking for. And, and so we took that to heart, put together like a full quant study and blasted it out to, you know, our most loyal, I think it was like four or 5,000 people. And we, and I was delighted to see, I think about 800 of them actually responded and filled out, you know, a good five to 10 minute survey, which, which really spoke to them about like the, the, the affinity and, and the loyalty that these clients or customers, I'm sorry, I keep using those words in the wrong context, um, have for, for Ryan Penn um, to ask about questions like, number like types of sizes for for these rompers the the colors that they would want them in the price that they would be willing to pay you know um and actually validating that in the context of other ideas we had were rompers the best and most sought after product so we use sort of like qualitative feedback that came in the first first time turned it into quantitative feedback and then took that you know to learn more about what do people want and then created those products um so I'd say our strategy was to be very fact-based, um, very disciplined, and listen to what people were, were asking for. In the apparel space, which is one of the reasons I love the category, loyalty and repeat is, is super high, right? People are very loyal to, to the brands um, in, this, uh, in this particular space. Um, you find a baby brand that you, you love, you're going to be with them basically forever. And our, part of our strategy was to be able to grow with those early adopters and, and have a portfolio of products that they could have from newborn up to, you know, maybe when they're a teenager one day, right? Um, uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're, we're on our way. Um, and so that would be, you know, how I'd say like, how do you come up with the idea and validate the idea to launch a product for sure. Um, and then in terms of, uh, of channels, you know, I'm such a huge believer in email marketing. Like you, you'll have a very hard time talking me off that cliff. Like I said before, it's the, the most efficient way to speak to your consumer, right? It's, it's your own data. So, you know, kind of like how to slice and dice and segment them and, and speak to them in a very, you know, one-to-one -one capacity, which is absolutely critical, right? Through short codes, like their first name, or like talk about like when they made their first purchase and how much have they spent versus, you know, how much have they, have they ever bought from you before? And then you, you can customize that, that, uh, that dialogue appropriately, which just makes it much more personable. And, uh, and, and that one-to-one -one impact is, is, is critical. But like mining your list for as many people that will buy as possible is absolutely critical. Again, may, they may not all buy the first time, um, but they might sort of learn about it the first time and then like seek it out and maybe be brought into, you know, the retargeting engine thereafter. Um, so I'd say like use your own channels first. Absolutely. And then when you, let's say, need to expand it, um, then you can kind of put it into into paid marketing. Maybe you can do a little bit more affiliate. You can, you can get out, uh, you can get your name out there a little bit with some of the influencers that maybe you have and content creators that you have a good relationship with. Um, but that's kind of like how I like to personally launch new products. Soon we will experiment with like a proper pre-order, right? With the, with the cost of goods on the rise and the competition higher than ever, you know, we want to um, quite honestly, like use consumer dollars to help us fund our inventory. Like I mentioned, like made in Canada, you know, ethically made, super high quality and, 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 and premium, in, you know, inputs and fabrics makes us very, very expensive to produce, right? Our profit margins are not as high at, at all as to what it could be like if we were, you know, sourcing and producing um, internationally. Candidly, we explored that, right? But decided that it wasn't the, the value prop that we wanted to launch the business with. So we stayed, you know, Canadian made. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, running, you know, uh, Pre-orders is a very, very effective thing to do. One of the brands that I have the most affinity for in the DDC space is called Bessie. And, and they got me one of my, uh, the first time I ever bought for them was on like a put $5 down to unlock, you know, like I think it was like a $30 discount, you know, and they charged my card that $5 when I, when I, uh, when I, when I went and responded to that ad, made that purchase. I think it was like six months later, they launched the product and they charged my, my credit card with, uh, with the rest of it. It was a very easy buying experience. And, and I know from like a tried and true tested perspective, you get the most qualified leads by trying to get them to give you something that's beyond just their, their own email. So leveraging the power of paid ads and doing things that are going to help you kind of like scale small, but then also get to the highly, your highly qualified audience, um, you know, to make your economics work is, is super, super important. So there's a lot of different ways you can go with it, but I'd say like leverage your own data, you know, first and foremost, and then find the most highly qualified leads that you possibly can um, in the channels that work the best for you and, uh, and listen to what your customers are looking for. Um, that's, uh, that's the thing that I think is, is so easy to overlook, right? You know, you can ask some questions, you can put surveys together, you can put out polls on, on Instagram and Facebook stories and get some great feedback that way. Some communities are more engaged than others, don't get me wrong, you know, but we, we definitely operate in a space where 
you know, uh, parents and moms in particular have have a lot of, uh, of strong opinions and they and they love to share them with us, which we are just so grateful for. It's a very disciplined approach to uh, discovery. And I, you know, kind of commend you on that because uh, a lot of products and a lot of companies, and in my experience in the software, more, more often than not is launched based on the idea of what the, you know, uh, the best possible world may look like rather than what the real problem is or who is complaining or what's missing from the market. So I, I you know, I just absolutely love that insight. Um, I know we're running short on time and I, I you know, I do want to sneak one more in and this is really about the new, you know, your, your, the new agency that you just launched and, uh, you know, you, you have so much experience, Jared, you know, coming from PepsiCo and, you know, kind of working at No Fixed Address, which works with a lot of, you know, large brands and small brands and you have a brand of your own um, and now you are leaving to start an agency. Um, with a friend of yours. Uh, can you tell us about that? And, and can you please tell me how did the name come together? Well, <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'll start with the name. Essentially, you know, one of uh, one of our good friends and clients, um, anytime that we would kind of get into, you know, a heated debate um, where we basically disagree with uh, with their ideas, they would just text us in response that said foes, <laughs> you know, instead of friends, right? Um, and so we always had that as a bit of like a uh, bit of an inside joke. But then when we started to unpack what we wanted to call our business, um, we thought about, you know, that in the context of, you know, what are some of the enemies that, that people have in, you know, especially in, in growth marketing, digital marketing. And, and, you know, the enemies that people have are things like conversion rate, you know, challenges, uh, rising CPMs, um, an intimidating world of, you know, of, of CRM and, and, uh, and creative marketing and, 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 and communications and landing page experiences, so on and so forth. There's a lot of enemies that, that entrepreneurs and smaller businesses have in the, uh, in the context of digital marketing. So we thought like a, kind of the play on words of like old foes versus new foes and like friend versus foes would be a, a, a fun little platform to play to play with. And so um, oldfoes.co was available. <laughs> we built a bit of a story around it. It felt fun, you know, and it, was, it kind of meant, it meant something to us. Um, for a little bit of an inside joke turned into like an actual kind of value prop and story, but that's why we went with it. Um, the, uh, yeah, the business itself is, is, uh, is, is super fresh, right? You know, we started it a couple weeks ago. Um, we're going to scale it small, right? We're very much a, a, about high service, um, you know, not, not sticking our clients into a box, really like working as a strategic partner, you know, to them and providing a high level of service and a high level of touch, but also the experience of working with big brands and small brands alike to be able to triangulate and bring all kinds of experience, you know, to, uh, to, to their businesses. So we're, you know, it's, it's really a growth partnership um, approach. You know, we uh, will, you know, we'll help, help kind of like go right up all the way up to strategy and, and building kind of a, a brand and, and like a business all the way down into unit economics and, um, uh, and, uh, and even going out and building things like CRMs, Shopify websites, you know, creative, um, you know, infrastructure and, and, and all of that. We've got, we've got a lot of experience doing that. We have some great partners that we, that we intend to work with in a, you know, a partnership capacity. Um, but we kind of know the, uh, we kind of know the, know the drill. We've got a lot of experience in this space. Um, we love, we love the space and are working with, you know, um, D2C businesses, but also like on the B2B side as well to kind of like generate leads and, you know, help, help develop in, and kind of, um, implement selling infrastructure, you know, from a, uh, from like a pure like SDR all the way through to like, you know, like outreach and, and, and kind of, you know, sales sequences and so on and so forth too, just based on the different experiences we have. So yeah, we're, we're a small, very, very boutique. We want to work with a very small number of like highly qualified, um, good fit, you know, clients for us that, you know, we get along with super well and that we, that we frankly believe in and, uh, and, and, and frankly think can be, you know, sustainable and viable businesses. Um, and yeah, we're looking looking forward to that to that journey. We've all we've already had we already have a lot of like really really powerful relationships that that are kind of lining up to say yeah we want to, we really want to work with you guys. So um, we hope to kind of slowly scale that you know get to a point where we can start to expand and and and, and hire some great folks as well because we'd like to we'd like to grow maybe by the end of the year if not early next year. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a really exciting you know time as a as a growth slash performance marketing agency, especially especially on the boutique side where where again you know as owner operators we've We've been there, done that before. We've used our own money, you know, to to build our businesses, and we can speak with you know true, authentic experience as well as the experience that we gain working with you know one of the one of the country's you know most respected agencies as well. What's the ideal customer profile for you, Jared? Let's let's get let's get you some inquiries. Let's uh, maybe <laughs> maybe amplify a little bit. 
I mean, I'm, you know, I, uh, I can vouch for the, uh, the kind of insights and, and, uh, you know, just the kind of person you are, you know, you're really going above and beyond even, even for just people that are reaching out and, uh, you know, asking questions like I did back in the day about paper stack. And so, you know, if there is a particular target profile that you're looking, let us know. Otherwise the link is in the comments and hopefully a few people can check you out. Yeah, you know, honestly, email me jared at oldfoes.co is probably the best thing. Um, we don't even have a website yet, right? We haven't really needed to because we have a lot of conversations <laughs> with existing sort of relationships. We don't need to we don't need to prospect or market ourselves yet. It's just really about conversations and coming up to agreements. Um, but I'd say the ideal profile for us is is a business that is relatively established, kind of past the hypothesis validation stage. Right. You know, as much as I'd love to like work with and help start a business with somebody, it takes so much effort and there's so much risk that goes into it. And frankly, like the cost for, you know, helping to kind of validate, you know, a, a business is one that um, becomes very hard to scale, you know, or even like kind of, you know, work in a bisynchronous relationship with with a client. So if you kind of like got past, I'd say that that first sort of wave of growth to like establish yourself, acquire your first you know, a few hundred or thousand customers, um, but want help scaling and refining and like building a more, let's say, profitable ecosystem, we're definitely, we're definitely the ones that, that can help you do that. And if it's about, you know, lead generation, more of a B2B or a SaaS context, or literally like selling more widgets through a D2C, you know, um, ecosystem, we've got plenty of experience on both and we can, we can help you do that. And so we're very, very specific with who we work with. And we really want to obviously like partner with, with a, uh, with a business that is in it for the same reasons, works really well with our our, our approach and our, our our strategy and our style, um, but has kind of already gotten past that that sort of first wave of growth, I'd say. Jared, this hour flew by faster than I expected. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing so so much with the audience. I know a lot of people uh, um, learned a lot from 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 this call. Um, I wish nothing but continued success to you and Ryan Penn, both your wife and yourself, working on that business, but also the new agency that you're starting out. I I know you'll. Uh, you'll uh, hit it out of the park. But uh, I just wanted to say that, um, uh, you know, from an entrepreneur to an entrepreneur, you know, congrats on everything you've accomplished and uh, um, more awesome stuff to come soon. So thank you for joining. Thank you so much. And the same to, uh, to you and, and the team. You guys are doing great things. I'm delighted to be here and I hope we get to do it again soon. Awesome, Jared. Take care.